0: Welcome back to The Talking Hedge. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your Cannabis Business Podcast. Today, we've got Morgan Fox. He is the uh, Media Director of the National Cannabis Industry Association. Morgan, thanks for being on The Talking Hedge. Thanks for having me. For those that haven't heard about the NCIA, can you tell the audience a little bit about what it's all about?
1: Absolutely. Uh, Well, National Cannabis Industry Association is the country's oldest, largest, and most broadly representative uh, Cannabis Trade Association in the country. Uh, We represent roughly 1,500 businesses of all shapes and sizes, Um, everything from direct plant touching to any manner of ancillary businesses that you could possibly imagine. our focus is on federal lobbying to end prohibition and uh, create a federal regulatory structure that is uh, amenable to uh, cannabis business interests while still promoting public health and safety. And we also uh, provide networking opportunities and educational resources for our members. Schumer, now the, uh, the majority leader of the Senate, uh, has uh, you know, been very proactive in talking about cannabis policy issues and wanting the Senate to address uh, legalization as well as other incremental uh, measures uh, relatively quickly. He's already made several public statements about it and held interviews on the subject. So, uh, we're very hopeful that we'll be able to start, uh, making some progress very soon.
0: That's great. So that's gonna be passing the, uh, possibly the more accurate, like you said, some, some better, uh, wording, more amendments in there to kind of make that more advantageous. And yet the old guard, like you mentioned, was kind of moving on. So Mitch McConnell, uh, kind of not getting in the way anymore. Uh, he's from Kentucky. Um, and so, I think, you know, looking at Kentucky, for example, might be the next state we, we mentioned early on that um, both Vermont and New York are, are having some FOMO, but Kentucky has the least funded pension plan in the entire US. So if Vermont is getting on board simply because they're broke and New York sees some FOMO, um, what are some of the states that you, you had mentioned beforehand that you kind of see, you know, either going wreck or, um, or medical? as I'm kind of looking at it from the finance side of Vermont, New York and Kentucky being broke and needing money. What are some of the, uh, some of the sites you're seeing with, with lobbying efforts?
1: I mean, luckily Vermont uh, legislature passed a uh, cannabis regulation bill. Um, they had previously passed a bill that basically allowed adult possession and limited home cultivation, but didn't involve any sort of uh, commercial regulatory uh, structure. Uh, luckily the legislature saw the, uh, the benefits of doing that uh, last year, and decided to enact that. Um, it's going to take them a little while to get their program up and running. Um, hopefully, uh, that process has already begun. I know that the uh, the um, cannabis commission there has already started uh, work. Um, but uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, New Jersey uh, passing uh, legalization, especially by such a wide margin of the uh, the voter base, uh, I think really. Uh, catalyzed a lot of the movement that we're going to see in the Northeast and really along the entire Eastern Seaboard in state legislatures over the next year or two years. Um, You know, all of these states, including New York, Pennsylvania, Connecticut, Delaware, Rhode Island, uh, uh, Maryland, all of them were considering Uh, legalization bills uh, prior to uh, uh, the results of the November election. And I think that now there's a huge impetus for them to really move forward as quickly as possible so that they don't miss out on the tax revenue and job creation that comes with regulated cannabis markets. Um, Whether or not any of them will be able to pass laws and then move through the regulatory process before New Jersey is able to, I think remains to be seen. Uh, You know, New Jersey is having uh, quite a bit of stumbling when it comes to putting in their enacting legislation. There are a lot of sticking points in terms of exactly how to treat possession by minors and uh, whether or not to allow home cultivation. So, uh, you know, that process is ongoing, and uh, hopefully, they'll come up with a compromise uh, relatively soon. You know, these state legislatures have a limited amount of time before the sessions run out to enact these bills, but as I said, a lot of them have been looking at it uh, already. And so hopefully it'll be a pretty short order before uh, these bills are pushed through their uh, state legislatures and uh, their state governments can start getting down to the work of actually installing regulated systems. Another state to really watch is uh, going to be uh, New Mexico, which came close to passing an adult use law during its very short emergency session last year, but was unable to do so, and uh, has the support of a lot of prominent lawmakers as well as the governor. Um, So I expect that to uh, be successful sometime in the next couple of months here. Um, And then we're looking at ballot initiatives. So uh, states like uh, Oklahoma and uh, Missouri and Idaho were not able to complete their signature drives. and then uh, I believe it's uh, Nebraska uh, actually uh, was sued off the ballot uh, this past year, even though they got enough signatures. So um, you now we're looking at uh, those states as well as uh, states like uh, North Dakota, uh, looking at either adult use or medical referenda in 2022. Uh, the, uh, the efforts have already started to get those on the ballot uh, in uh, most of those states as well. Um, we might also see some uh, uh, movement on the medical side uh, in state legislatures, such as South Carolina, uh, which uh, you know has a really strong uh, and robust uh, grassroots support uh, network that uh, is working really hard to pass a, a comprehensive medical bill. Um, whether or not they'll be able to get that done this session uh, is up in the air, but uh, I think that uh, there's a lot of optimism from folks on the ground there, as well as national organizations that are supporting their efforts.
0: How has things changed, I guess, from the legislative side post pandemic, I know that um, I started writing a bill, uh, fourth quarter 2019, or actually finished a a bill for a marijuana lounge. So Washington State has a class C felony on maintaining and operating a marijuana lounge, I wanted to reverse that felony, and uh, implement some new rules. But post pandemic, um, delivery in Washington State is going to be a priority. And then, um, you know, Cannabis lounges are going to be pushed off to the side. What have you seen, you know, just in the last year, where priorities have shifted and changed uh, on the national scale?
1: Well, I think on the national scale, uh, priorities are pretty much still the same. Um, you know, in terms of the things that are universally uh, affecting cannabis businesses and that are able to be fixed through federal legislation. So we're still looking at uh, descheduling. We're still looking at fixing the, uh, the banking issue. We're still looking at fixing the 280E issue. We're still looking at removing barriers to research, and we're still looking at trying to develop regulatory frameworks that uh, Congress and federal agencies can use in order to effectively provide guidance to state regulators in terms of what their cannabis regulation should look like. Uh, as well as uh, maintaining certain safety protocols that would be universal. Um, I'm, I'm glad that you brought up uh, delivery because I think that that's one of the, uh, the upsides of uh, the pandemic for the industry. Um, you know, a lot of the uh, uh, the services that you mentioned, such as curbside deli- uh, curbside pickup and delivery, uh, were not available to cannabis businesses at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, whereas they were to uh, pretty much any other business that they were applicable to. And uh Uh, With the need to maintain social distancing and implement uh, um, stringent safety protocols uh, during the pandemic, uh, while these businesses maintained operation uh, required uh, a lot more uh, collaboration with uh, state and local regulators and uh, basically resulted in a lot of these services that and uh, options that had been denied to cannabis businesses being allowed. And uh, I would be very surprised if these uh, regulators were to start walking that back now that they've seen that cannabis businesses uh, can successfully uh, uh, operate in this manner. Um, not to mention just the uh, increased familiarity with uh, the uh, the needs and preferences of both businesses and regulators. You know, having such a, a much closer working environment working relationship is certainly going to benefit all these businesses going forward.
0: What is going to happen with legalization? A lot of people are looking at you know this whole thing with a lot of uh, optimism, and and we'll just be honest, a speculation. Um, when do you so- foresee legalization, even with kind of the FOMO with with Mexico and a lot of these other states, like you had mentioned, onboarding either medical or uh, rec, when is it gonna happen at the federal level? You know, it's really difficult
1: to tell. Um, You know, with a relatively narrow margin of uh, uh, democratic control of the House and uh, an even narrow margin in the Senate uh, with a lot of other uh, um, economic and social and political issues uh, that uh, Congress has to deal with, it's difficult to determine exactly where on the priority list uh, uh, descheduling is going to be and then you also have to deal with a lot of the nuances that would be contained in any piece of legislation and the debates and uh, um, negotiations that would go on around those. Um, you know like I said I'm very very optimistic that uh, we're going to see reintroduction and passage of probably several bills in the house um, but again the senate we're probably looking at more incremental reforms in the near-term future. Um, you know, leading into uh, 2022, I think it's uh, you have to also consider uh, the uh, political calculus that some lawmakers are going to be looking at in order to prevent uh, the usual pendulum swing we see in uh, House lawmakers. Whenever Democrats uh, win the presidency, there's usually a, uh, a Republican sweep of uh, legislatures uh, following that. Uh, so I think that that might be part of the uh, the calculus in determining you know what sort of bill they want to vote on, when they want to vote on it, et cetera. Um, But, you know, it's totally possible that uh, it could happen this year. I just think that it's much more realistic to look at incremental reforms this year and then uh, look at more comprehensive reforms uh, next year or the year after.
0: All right. Well, let's kind of shift gears a little bit, kind of talk about uh, some events. I know that, you know, it's been hard to to have in-person events. So there's been some online. Um, How have you guys made that pivot?
1: Well, uh, pretty much as soon as we realized that uh, there was going to be pretty significant uh, quarantining and isolation, we uh, pivoted almost immediately into ramping up our digital content and trying to uh, continue to find alternative methods to provide educational experiences and networking to our members. Um, You know, it definitely hurt, but I think that uh, we've been able to maintain that level of service and uh, providing resources to our members uh, throughout. Hopefully we're going to see the return to in-person events uh, you know, at some point in uh, you know, late summer, early fall this year. Uh, I really don't think it's gonna happen before then and none of the models are really predicting that. Um, and also we wanna make sure that we look out for the uh, health and safety of our members and exhibitors uh, as well. Um, in the interim, we have been doing uh, some regional uh, uh, online events, as well as uh, you know, hosting regular webinars on a number of topics. So we have uh, our uh, Catalyst Conversations webinar series where we talk about uh, social equity issues and uh, ways to increase uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion in the industry, as well as uh, giving uh, applicants and licensees from marginalized communities uh, information that they need to help them thrive in a very complex regulatory and uh, really uh, challenging business environment. Uh, we have our uh, committee uh, insights, uh, uh, which uh, basically uh, are put together by our uh, 14 member committees on uh, all sorts of different uh, uh, issues that are pertinent to cannabis policy reform as well as to cannabis businesses. Uh, we've got uh, our uh, regular uh, diversity report run by our uh, uh, diversity equity inclusion manager Tahir Johnson uh, to try to elevate voices for marginalized communities in the cannabis space. Uh, and then uh, we have uh, you know, a series of sponsored webinars from our members uh, to try to get their messages out there about particular topics or services that they may offer. Uh, and then for our members, we have uh, monthly uh, government relations insights uh, where our uh, federal lobbying team will uh, sit down with the moderator and just go over uh, all the issues of the day as it comes to uh, our federal lobbying efforts and what's happening on the
0: national scene politically. There's a lot happening uh, just not even nationally, but just even uh, on the local level. Um, so it's great to kind of see a lot of these these um, you know, individual events that you're having. One of them I, I've seen here is the Catalyst Conversations, um, Cannabis Industry Business Opportunities. So this is a, a conversational series that you're having, like a webinar to give uh, enrollees uh, some social equity sponsorship programs and opportunity to network and gain access to valuable knowledge and help them excel in the cannabis industry. Um, can you talk a little bit more about uh, how that came about and uh, how people can kind of get involved?
1: Uh, well, I mean, really it was sort of a, uh, a natural outgrowth of uh, our instituting a social equity scholarship program, uh, whereby uh, anybody that is applying to a social equity licensing uh, program, whether it be a state or a local level, uh, and can just provide evidence that they have applied. You don't even have to have received a license as long as you're in the application process. Uh, you get a, a complimentary year of membership with NCIA as well as additional uh, free and discounted promotional opportunities. Uh, and um, you know, we really wanted to highlight a lot of the, uh, the people that we were uh, uh, bringing into the family with uh, that program as well as provide resources to people uh, you know, like them who are uh, just getting into a, uh, a you know, very difficult uh, business and uh, regulatory space uh, that is uh, really weighted towards people with significant uh, uh, capital and resources. So, um, you know, uh, there are very high barriers to entry into this industry, and we want to help try to provide information that can help lower those barriers uh, wherever possible.
0: Do you see any uh, real fundamental difference with social equity programs in areas like Illinois or or, uh, Massachusetts? Is it actually helping those that are disproportionately affected by the war on drugs? Um, It seems to be a big push and it seems to to garner a lot of attention, but is it actually providing the help it was intended to?
1: They've really all got their various shortcomings um, and are really not providing as much uh, support for marginalized communities. uh, that are trying to enter the cannabis space uh, as uh, they were designed to uh, for various reasons. Um, Our uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion committee actually released a number of recommendations for uh, uh, Illinois' dispensary licensing program. There were a number of problems there, so uh, we tried to address that. I know that uh, that committee and uh, several uh, members of NCIA are also working on uh, trying to make sure that some of these mistakes don't happen in states like New Jersey or uh, Vermont or Arizona. I, uh, my colleague Tahir Johnson is actually involved in a, a series of uh, seminars in Arizona put on by uh, a local trade association there uh, in order to try to uh, prepare people for the opening of the uh, the social equity licensing process, uh, but I think that every new program that gets started is learning from some of the mistakes of the past, but uh, really it requires a tremendous amount of community engagement on the part of lawmakers and regulators to get this right. And I don't think that we're seeing that to the extent that uh, that we would like. but this is an ongoing process. And I think that it's really important for people in the business community, as well as uh, people in associations like NCIA, to do whatever they can to try to help provide resources and educational opportunities so that people that are entering these programs, regardless of how well-structured they are, uh, have a leg up and are able to uh, uh, more effectively take advantage of uh, any of the additional opportunities that are offered to them through those programs.
0: There's some other programs and resources and opportunities too. So another event that you have is the Cannabis Business Summit and Expo. So this is later on. This is going to be maybe uh, around the early August uh, timeframe. I know it's kind of contingent on in-person or not. And I kind of want to pick your brain about that. So tell me a little bit about the Cannabis Business Conference, um, what it's designed for, who it's, you know, who the target market is and and, um, how long it's been going on.
1: Well, it's actually our, uh, our flagship event. We've been doing it for, uh, I believe, uh, six or seven years now. Um, and uh, it, the one that we had in uh, San Jose in uh, 2019 uh, had uh, over 10,000 attendees, 450 exhibitors, and 150 uh, speakers on uh, a number of subjects related to the cannabis industry, as well as uh, cannabis policy and advocacy. Um, we uh, were forced to turn that into a digital event uh, last year. Uh, but we're very hopeful that we'll be able to uh, go back to an in-person meeting uh, in uh, August, um, which is uh, tentatively slated for the uh, the Moscone Center in San Francisco. Uh, but again, a lot of this is contingent upon what exactly happens with uh, the pandemic. So, uh, you know, everything is really in a state of flux right now. But regardless of that, uh, you know, we're going to be uh, continuing to move forward with trying to find the ideal uh, timing for such an event that, you uh, Puts safety at the uh the front of the line.
0: And there are people that aren't going to feel safe no matter what. So those that are immune compromised, uh don't want to travel or whatever else. How are you going to bridge that gap? Is it going to be virtual reality headsets? How are you going to actually get them to feel that they're still engaged and that they're there? Is it the technology? Um, what you know, what's the secret sauce?
1: No, I think that it'll probably end up being a combination of uh, uh like what we did with our uh, our uh, last digital uh, cannabis business summit uh where you know there are meeting rooms and people can watch the panel discussions and people can uh network in uh, uh virtual meeting rooms and lounges uh you know i don't think it would be uh, really as far as having um you know VR goggles on anybody, but who knows? Uh, honestly, that's uh, not really my forte. I don't, uh, I don't deal with the event planning aspect of it, but um, I know that we're looking at uh, all aspects to make a, an in-person event uh, appeal to people that are still uh, you know, not quite feeling safe about going to those.
0: For those that are, do you have uh, some information on how they can attend, um, what some links are, all of that, uh, plug whatever you'd like?
1: Well, it's, uh, I don't think it's possible to uh, register for it just yet because we haven't uh, nailed down the details. Um, but if you're interested in becoming an exhibitor or a sponsor, uh, you can definitely reach out to, uh, um, any of our team at info@thecannabisindustry.org. and, uh, uh, by going to the cannabis uh, our website, or checking out any of our social profiles, uh, you can find a lot of additional information and sign up for our newsletter so that you get constant updates as to uh, what's going on with event planning. And, uh, uh, not only that, but uh, get access to our educational material put together by our members and staff and uh, find out about potential opportunities for both members and non-members.
0: Is there anything else that you'd like to, anything we missed, anything you'd like to plug, uh, any events, um, anything at this time that you want to let the audience know about?
1: Well, um, since you mentioned uh, capital markets, I think it's important to uh, note that uh, you know every time if the, the political uh, winds shift in favor of legalization or you see uh, a number of states passing legislation or you see Congress pass, uh, in even one chamber of Congress pass legislation, you see a uh, tremendous influx in, uh, in capital and investment. Um, and I'm hoping that uh, with this most recent influx, uh, that investors have learned from some of the mistakes of the past, uh, because I feel like there's a misconception that this is going to be a, an immediate uh, green rush and people will be able to get rich really quickly. And that leads investors to uh, demanding immediate returns from businesses that are really not in a position to be able to provide them. And really uh, from the investor level, forgetting that this is still a uh, volatile uh, agricultural commodity that is in a very unstable uh, political uh, environment. Uh, so you should really be thinking about this in terms of the long haul, um, you know, and keep your money in these businesses because eventually they uh, they will be able to provide uh, excellent returns. But if you force them to start making returns now or uh, demanding uh, your investments back, it's going to uh, not only hobble those businesses but uh, makes the uh, investor market Timid overall for businesses that absolutely need it, and uh, in many cases don't have access to uh, capital through uh, traditional lending because of lack of access to banking. Uh, I think it's also important for investors to look beyond the uh, the ETFs and the big companies and start thinking about direct investing in smaller businesses, particularly those that are uh, social equity applicants, uh, largely because these businesses. Uh, have very limited access to capital uh, through angel investors and uh, lack of deep financial uh, networks and are a uh, have the potential to be an incredibly vibrant market that uh, are currently being overlooked by most uh, capital investors. So I think there's a big opportunity there for people that are willing to invest in an ethical manner and uh, not try to uh, uh, do so in a predatory way, which we have seen, unfortunately, a little bit. as opposed to just having a laser focus on, uh, you know, major multi-state operators. Although nothing wrong with investing in them. I just think that investors need to be patient and have a broader focus.
0: Yeah, less speculative. This isn't, um, you know, a cryptocurrency that's going to go up 25,000%, right? So you don't want to have malinvestment that you've seen in Aurora and Canopy where they've written off 1 billion and 3 billion because they tried to rush something too fast. So, I yeah, I could dive into that topic for for an hour all by itself and and unpack all of that that's a lot of really important information people should really understand that sin stocks have an inverse relationship when there is an economic downturn and when you print trillions of dollars you're going to have some kind of Uh, kickback. There's going to be some issues that happen as a result of that. And so I would definitely advise looking at cannabis as maybe a protection, but at the same time, it's not financial advice. Uh, And potentially everything could go down as well uh, with systemic risk. But a lot of these in the U.S. should be looked at for, uh, you know, individual investment um, because they're not overbought like their Canadian counterparts. So a lot of opportunity with that for sure. Um, Yeah. That's a great conversation in and of itself. Anything else that we miss? Anything else you want to throw out there?
1: I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but, uh, you know, I'm happy to come on again and uh, cover yeah. anything that you'd like to bring up.
0: Yeah, a lot going on. Definitely would like to have uh, you back, Morgan and the National Cannabis Industry Association. Uh, appreciate you guys being on the podcast.
1: Yeah, thank you again for having me. And, uh, you know, uh, I think it's, uh, it's really important that uh, uh, people realize that, uh, you know, this industry still requires a significant amount of advocacy. So, uh, you know, if you're involved in a, uh, in a cannabis business, uh, really look at advocacy as uh, a portion of your budget or a portion of your, uh, your staff time, uh, because uh, these things don't happen in a vacuum. And by supporting organizations like NCIA or doing your own work to uh, contact your members of Congress, uh, you can really help make a difference.
0: Yeah. Links to the show notes to donate and um, be a member of the NCIA. All of that will be in the description. With that, I think we're going to roll this one up. I'm Josh Kincaid. This is the talking hedge. Don't forget to like share and subscribe or don't. And I'm out. Don't forget to smash that like button on your way out and check out these other videos that we've got. Thanks for listening to today's show.